What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pop Show. Happy Friday. I hope you guys all had a great week. I got a lot to talk about today. Number one, we're going to be talking about Peacock's exclusive NFL playoff game with the NFL. That's right. Y'all are going to have to pay somewhere between $6 and $12 if you don't live in the local markets to watch Saturday's wildcard matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. Everyone online seems to be pissed about this, and they're screaming that the NFL is greedy. But I'm going to explain to you the business behind this deal, including obviously why Peacock wants to do it, but more importantly, why the NFL wants to do it. Then we're going to get into Nick Saban. Nick Saban retired this week. Incredible, incredible resume at Alabama. One of the greatest coaches, bar none, in all of sports history. We're going to get into the business behind his impact at the University of Alabama, though, including why he was potentially worth more than a billion dollars to the school. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. But first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. All right, so you guys have probably heard by now that Peacock will be hosting an exclusive, exclusive NFL playoff game this weekend. That's right. Unless you live in local markets like Kansas City or Miami, you will have to pay somewhere between $6 and $12 to watch Saturday's wildcard matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. Now, obviously, Peacock paid a lot of money for this. Despite posting nearly $3 billion in losses last year, NBC streaming company shelled out $110 million just for this game. To give you guys context on just how much money that is, that comes out to roughly $1.8 million per minute of actual game action, or roughly $720,000 per play based on the average of 153 plays per game. So when you're watching the game and you see Mahomes drop back for a pass, just know that that one play cost Peacock $720,000 that they paid to the NFL. Now, obviously, there's some context outside of that and some content outside of that that they're going to be paying for as well. But saying fans are pissed about this would be an understatement. The NFL already makes more than any other sports league on the planet by a mile. And everyone from Chris Mad Dog Russo to Mike Francesca and millions of casual fans in between have labeled the NFL as greedy over the last few days. I've seen it. I'm sure you guys have seen it. There are rants all over Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, wherever you get your news from on social media. People are complaining about this game, saying that the NFL is greedy and they can't stand it. Now, Peacock has tried to twist this narrative by announcing the first ever commercial-free fourth quarter for an NFL playoff game, aka they will show the announcers or more game-related content instead of going to commercials. But even that is a little bit deceiving, and I'll explain why. Many of you will read this headline and say, oh, that's awesome. No commercials in the fourth quarter. We're going to get more game action. It's going to move quicker. No, that's not what's going to be happening here. The game is still going to take the exact length of time that it would normally take. There's still going to be TV timeouts. The players, the refs, and the teams are all accustomed to that. None of that is going to be changed. But instead of those commercials, you're just going to be seeing the announcers, or they'll go down to the sideline reporter, or they'll talk about the game. Maybe they'll drop some plays or something like that. So I would agree that that's better. But it's not like Peacock isn't going to be monetizing the fourth quarter. The first three quarters are going to be full of commercials. And the fourth quarter, at the beginning of the quarter and several times throughout, they'll announce sponsors. They did this for the regular season game that was exclusive on their network as well. And now they're going to do it again for the playoffs. So I don't know who the sponsor is for this weekend's game, but let's just say it's Walmart. They'll say the fourth quarter is now presented to you by Walmart. And then a couple times throughout the fourth quarter, they'll do that again. Maybe something might pop up on the screen, but they will not go to commercial break. So it's probably not as good as many people assumed it would be, but I would argue it's a little bit of a step up. So congrats. That's awesome. Good for Peacock. A little bit of innovation happening there. But that's neither here nor there. Everyone knows that this is essentially a loss leader for Peacock. 
they're not going to get anywhere close to the normal $1 million commercial fee that companies would get during wildcard weekend. And they would need millions, millions of signups to even break even on this deal. Instead, Peacock is investing in the future with this deal, despite losing $3 billion last year. They are hoping that consumers will sign up for the game, and then those same consumers will stick around once they see all of the other content that Peacock has to offer, including original programming, TV shows, and movies, and a bunch of sports offerings too. They have WWE, they have the Premier League, they have Big Ten Basketball, they have the PGA Tour. There's a bunch of other stuff on Peacock, and their hope is that when you sign up to watch this game, you start surfing around, you see a bunch of other things, and you end up staying on the service. So the churn gets eliminated because they have all of these other content offerings. Now, this is a decent strategy. I mean, Amazon's first Thursday night football game drove more prime signups than any time in the company's history during a three-hour window. That includes Prime Day, Black Friday, and Cyber Monday. So I think that proves that live sports are a valuable customer acquisition play for these streaming companies. I mean, who would have thought that Thursday night football will drive more signups during that window than Prime Day, Black Friday, and Cyber Monday? That's an absolutely incredible stat. And again, it speaks to the value of the NFL and its products when it comes to customer acquisition. Live sports rights are also a good way to limit churn. You continuously add valuable assets to the bundle, making people think twice before canceling their subscription. You're essentially just trying to add value and add value and add value and show people that there's no reason to cancel their subscription. It only costs $6 a month or maybe $12 a month, but you're getting all of this inventory. You're getting shows, you're getting movies, you're getting live sports and documentaries in between. That's a very valuable asset to Peacock as well. But the more interesting part to me is why the NFL would do this deal in the first place. We get it for Peacock. It makes sense for Peacock. Paying all that money, you get the customer acquisition, you get the limited churn, yada, yada, yada. We get it. Peacock, good deal. But why would the NFL do it? Everyone's calling them greedy. They're saying you're getting $110 million and you're screwing over consumers. Now I get it. Throwing a meaningless regular season game in week 17 behind a paywall isn't a huge deal. They did that. No one really complained. But no one wants to pay additional money to watch a playoff game, especially considering serious NFL fans now need to spend nearly $1,000 each year between cable, Sunday ticket, Amazon, and Peacock. And the math doesn't make sense for the NFL either. A $110 million payment only increases the NFL's annual broadcasting revenue by 1%. And after you account for the 52-48 league-wide revenue split, each NFL team will only take home an additional $1.8 million in revenue. To give you some context, I know $1.8 million sounds like a lot of revenue, but that's essentially one game's worth of concession revenue for an NFL team. The average NFL team takes home about $2 million in concession revenue per game. They obviously each have eight or nine home games each. So $1.8 million is not going to change anything, especially, again, in the landscape of the total media revenue generated by the NFL. But it's more important not to miss the forest for the trees. This game will potentially end up averaging somewhere between 15 to 20 million viewers. That would be a 48% drop from last year's wildcard weekend viewership average, which obviously isn't great. But it would also set a new streaming exclusive record for the NFL, surpassing the 15.26 million viewers that Amazon got for its Cowboys vs. Seahawks game in week 13 this season. Ultimately, that viewership number right there, 15 to 20 million, is more important to the NFL than the $110 million that they're going to receive from Peacock. It's why they gave Peacock the best game of the weekend, and it's also why they implemented flex scheduling for Thursday Night Football after Amazon complained about their numbers last year. 
The reason for all of this is simple. Streaming will eventually pass cable consumption at some point this decade. And the NFL knows that companies like Amazon, Peacock, Apple, Netflix, ESPN+, and the list goes on, will all play a big role in their next media rights negotiation. So instead of just taking these companies' money and giving them bad games and saying, see you later, the NFL is doing everything it can to make sure their dominant viewership numbers translate to streaming. Again, we all know this. The NFL represents like 93 or 95 out of the top 100 most watched TV broadcasts last year. But that was all on cable. And they want to prove that those numbers, that dominant viewership trend that we've seen across the NFL over the last few years, can translate to streaming. Now, this is inevitably going to piss off fans. We've already seen that it has done that. No one wants to download another app, and streaming makes it difficult to switch between games. But this is where we are headed. The biggest games of the year, I mean, we're talking about the Super Bowl and the AFC and NFC championships, will probably remain on cable for the foreseeable future. But if Peacock's numbers blow people away and end up being pretty damn good, it's only a matter of time before every streaming company comes knocking on the NFL's door. But let's move on to our next topic. I want to talk about Nick Saban. Now, Nick Saban needs no introduction. I mean, his stats at Alabama alone, not talking about any of his other coaching career stops, are absolutely incredible. Six-time national champion, nine-time SEC champion. He lost 29 games over 17 seasons. His final record after 17 seasons was 206 and 29. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. So one of the things I want to talk about, though, with Nick Saban is not his coaching career. I'll leave that to everyone else to talk about. In my mind, he's one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the greatest college coach of all time. But we'll see who ends up taking the Alabama job. It's obviously a very good job, and there's going to be many interested people. And Alabama is going to want to find a good coach. And the reason Alabama is going to stop at no leg to get the coach that they want, who they think can continue the tradition that they've uh, developed over the last few years with the football program, is because Nick Saban was worth billions to this school. And I'll explain to you guys. I talked about this the other day on Twitter, and I wrote about it in the past. But the general idea is this thing called the Flutie effect. Some of you guys have probably heard of it, while some of you may have not. Doug Flutie was a Boston College quarterback who successfully threw a Hail Mary to beat Miami in a nationally televised game in 1984. This captivated the country. It was everywhere. Everyone was talking about Boston College. And that athletic success led to a 30% jump in applications at Boston College over the next few years. We have also seen other examples of the Flutie effect. For example, applications jumped 13% at, at Auburn after Cam Newton led them to a national championship in 2011. Florida Gulf Coast, you guys will remember their run during March Madness in 2013. They saw a 27% increase in applications after advancing to the Sweet 16 as a number 15 seed that year. Side note, I mean, it's hard to believe that happened in 2013. Over a decade ago, Florida Gulf Coast did that run. That's absolutely insane. It's incredible and fascinating how fast time moves. But yes, that was 2013. So again, in simple terms, the general idea is that athletic success can lead to an increase in applications, enrollment, and therefore tuition money at a university. And Alabama is no different. Nick Saban has built the most dominant program in college football since arriving in Tuscaloosa in 2007. They have won a bunch of national championships. They've played in a bunch of different title games, and they've had double-digit wins every single season since 2007. Again, one of the craziest stats that I heard over the last few days was that Nick Saban had more NFL draft picks than he had losses. Losses. And it might have been first-round draft picks, so don't quote me on that, but it was some crazy stat around how many draft picks he had relative to the number of losses he had at Alabama. His tree of players that have gone to the NFL is absolutely insane. I mean, they'd probably win the Super Bowl this year if you combine them all together and play on one team. 
and he has built a powerhouse. But again, more importantly is what he did on the financial side and the academic side. Since Nick Saban arrived at Alabama in 2007, Alabama's enrollment has increased from 25,000 students to 40,000 students. That's a 60% jump compared to the national average of just 10%. So Alabama has drastically outperformed all of the other colleges around the country. But the type of student is even more important than the total increase in students. Alabama went from the majority of its student body consisting of in-state students in 2007 to now the majority of its student body consists of out-of-state students. Now, you may say, hey, Joe, why does that matter? You know, if the total number goes up, that's great. They're paying money. It's awesome. Revenue increase. Well, this is important because out-of-state students pay three times more in annual tuition than in-state students. Out-of-state students pay about $32,000 a year versus $11,000 a year for in-state students. And when you add all of that up, right, the increase in total students plus the amount of money that they're paying and the composition of the student body transitioning over time to now the majority of students are being from out-of-state versus in-state, Nick Saban has accounted for hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, in annual revenue that Alabama has generated from him. And that's billions of dollars over the last 15 to 20 years that he's been on campus. So while Alabama has paid him $130 million over 16 seasons, you could easily argue, easily argue where I don't even think it's debatable, that he's been worth more than a billion dollars to the university. I mean, just think about it. They were just in the Rose Bowl. That was watched by over 25 million people. They played in several national championships. They won a bunch of national championships. That doesn't even account for all the coverage that they get on social media, all the coverage that they get on SportsCenter and ESPN and First Take and shows like that. Everyone talks about the university during college football season because of how dominant they have been over the last 15 to 20 years. Alabama Chancellor Robert Witt even told 60 Minutes a decade ago that Nick Saban is the best investment this university has ever made, and I think the stats speak for themselves. But the interesting part about this, and one thing that I think we're coming up on here, is that the dynamics have changed here, and I think this is probably part of the reason why Nick Saban ended up retiring. Yeah, I mean, he's over 70 years old, and he was towards the end of his coaching career anyways, but I think that the the combination of NIL and the transfer portal has brought a lot of parity to the sport. It's moved players around faster than ever before, and it's changed the dynamic of college football in general. Nick Saban, if any of you listen to his press conferences, if you hear him talk before or after games, if you heard him on the Pat McAfee show or any of the other media stuff he did this year, he was clearly frustrated with the dynamics that are at play here in college football. He essentially said multiple times that it's pay for play and schools are going out of their way to pay players and sign contracts for NIL agreements with collectives. And it's changed the total dynamic of how these teams can operate. So I think he was a little bit fed up with that. And it's probably a good time for him to leave the sport, right? He leaves while he's still on top. You don't have to deal with what someone like, I don't know, Dabo Sweeney's dealing with this year, right? Dabo is a person who has clearly not adjusted to NIL and the transfer portal as well as some other teams. And Clemson, they've seen their, their reputation probably decline a little bit over the last few years because of his inability to translate some of that stuff. And if you look at the schools, right, if you look at Alabama, if you look at Georgia, if you look at all the top schools in college football today, they're all now going to have to figure out where they want to invest their money. So whereas before they just said, OK, we're going to invest our money in the facilities. We're going to invest our money in resources for the school. We're going to invest our money in the stadium. We're going to invest our money in recruiting trips. We're going to do everything that we can to prove that these players should come here. We're going to give the coach everything he needs. I mean, no one's going to argue that Nick Saban didn't have every resource he needs over the last decade plus at Alabama to be successful. The school was absolutely committed to his success and the success of the football team, primarily because academics take a backseat to athletics when it comes to the display of the university. 
And that's not just in Alabama. This at many schools, right? It's a common saying that athletics are the front porch of the university. That's how people get interested in the school. And it's why people from up north, right? I know plenty of people from Connecticut and Long Island and New Jersey and other places like that, even West Coast, that wanted to go to Alabama, applied to Alabama, and eventually went to Alabama, paying them tens of thousands of dollars in tuition because of the football team, right? You see the football team, you notice the school, maybe you visit the school, you fall in love with the campus, and everything takes care of itself from there. But again, instead of investing in all those things, those things are still going to be important, don't get me wrong. But now these schools are also having to invest in NIL and collectives and recruiting people out of the transfer portal, right? The schools that are taking NIL the most serious are going to benefit over the next decade. I think a good example of this already that's playing out is Ole Miss. I mean, look what Lane Kiffin has done there. He's done a tremendous job. They're probably going to be top 10, maybe top 12 at the lowest when the preseason pool, pool comes out this coming year. I mean, they finished the year off really strong. They had a great season. He dominated the transfer portal and he got a bunch of new recruits out of high school as well. And that's primarily because the school and the boosters have given Lane Kiffin the resources that he needs to be successful. And they're doing that not just because they want to be good at football. No, they're doing it because they know that if football success goes well and the school performs well on the field, that will lead to academic success. It will lead to increased revenue for the team. And eventually, it's great for Lane Kiffin as well, right? So when all these coach openings come up over the next few years, I mean, we've already seen it. Nick Saban, when he retired, Pete Thamel and all these other guys started putting out the buyouts for all the other schools. People like Dan Lanning, coaches across the country, Sarkeesian, maybe others as well. They're all going to be trying to get new contracts because of this opening. They're going to parlay it as leverage into getting bigger and better deals. Kalen DeBoer at Washington's a perfect example of this. He's doing a new contract from the school. And if they don't give him something that can compete with a school like Alabama, he will just go to Alabama or another school like that, right? So it works out well for the coaches. It works out well for the universities. And eventually it works out well for the students. Because if a student goes there, I mean, Alabama is another good example of this. The, the campus has been transformed over the last decade. New buildings have gone up. It's greatly improved the campus itself because of all the dollars that the football program has generated. So this is something to keep in mind. Everyone always talks about high-level college football coaches being drastically overpaid. And don't get me wrong, there are some of them. There's coaches that have all this buyout money and end up getting fired. And that money is essentially wasted because the school did not perform well on the football field. And none of this value was translated to the academic side of the institution. Those contracts are a bad contract. Those coaches are not paid relative to the value that they were supposed to deliver to the school. But a coach like Nick Saban, a coach like Kirby Smart, those coaches that consistently deliver year over year over year and bring their teams to national championship, they win SEC championships, and they're at the forefront of the conversation on social media and across ESPN. They are bringing way more value to the university than they are paid, and there is no better example of this than Nick Saban. Again, $130 million over the last 16 seasons in Alabama, but brought in billions of dollars to the school in the form of academics. That's it for today, though, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode breaking down both Peacock, but Nick Saban's financial impact at the University of Alabama. If you enjoyed this, please do me a favor and just share this episode with one, maybe two of your friends. Help me help you by making this podcast bigger and better than ever before. Other than that, I hope everyone has a tremendous weekend. Enjoy the NFL playoffs, and we'll talk on Monday.